In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the passage in Scripture where Christ heals uh, a blind and a mute man, and instead of the scribes and the Pharisees around him seeing this as evidence of his deity, as evidence of his godhood, as evidence of who he is, instead they argue against him and they say, well, you know, the only reason that he was able to heal this man is because of the power of the devil. And because he is of the devil and he is using the power of the devil in order to heal this man. And they say in Matthew 12, 21, uh, when Christ is responding to them, he says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. And sometimes we, we read this passage about this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy uh, against the Holy Spirit that will not be forgiven, and we wonder. And sometimes some people, they ask, well, maybe I committed this sin, this unforgivable sin, and they're afraid that God will not forgive them. Actually, if you look at what this sin is that Christ is speaking about and how he's accusing them of this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He's doing it because these people uh, refuse to repent. They see obviously and clearly in front of them what it is that he is doing and that he is coming from God and that he is doing the works of God and yet they are refusing to accept him. They're refusing to accept that what he's doing is actually from God and they're accusing him of being of the devil. And they continue to do this actually all the way through the entire life of Christ. They, they, at no point do they repent, at no point do they change or turn or, or accept the words that he's saying, and they continue in this path. So when we speak about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what works in us to convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit is what tells me, it's that voice inside of me that tells me when I'm doing something wrong, that I need to change, that I need to correct myself, that something needs to be corrected, and yet I might continue to fight against this voice. I might continue to, uh, you know, shut my ears to it so that I don't hear what this voice is telling me and I don't follow it. And I continue to do this maybe for the rest of my life, living a life of non-repentance for the, the sins that I commit. And this is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, meaning that for my entire life I refuse to repent. We know that Christ always forgave everyone that came to him and offered a sincere repentance. But to those people who did not offer repentance and continue to live in their way of life and lifestyle all the way to the very end, these people will be condemned. These people will be judged. So we don't ask when we, for instance, when, when we're feeling regretful and we're feeling uh, sorrowful for the sins that we committed, we should not think to ourselves, well, maybe I committed this unforgivable sin, the sin that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Because just by the definition of me coming to confess and me coming to repent and me worrying that I might have committed this sin is in itself a repentance, is in itself that we are coming and we're wanting to correct ourselves and we're wanting to change and we want God to accept us. So today I want to speak about um, false repentance versus true repentance. Sometimes we, we, we have the appearance of repentance Sometimes someone looking at us from the outside might say that we are repenting, and yet in our heart there might not be repentance. It might be a false kind of repentance. And to kind of illustrate this, we're going to go through the life of King Saul and compare him with King David. King Saul is an example of someone with false repentance. That he made certain statements and said certain things that someone looking at him from the outside might say, oh, well, he's repenting. But if you look deeper into his thoughts, into his actions, you'll see that his repentance was not sincere, which is why God rejected him. If you look at King David, on the other hand, 
His sin was actually far greater than the, king, the sins of King Saul. And yet, God accepted him because he had a true repentance. So what are some of the characteristics of false repentance that we can see in the life of King Saul? The first one is that King Saul was slow to repent. He was very slow to repent. Whenever he was accused of his sin, he did not repent right away, but he took some time to repent. Here in this instance, uh, King Saul, uh, Samuel the prophet tells him that he needs to wait for Samuel to arrive so that he can offer a sacrifice before going to battle. And so King Saul is there waiting, waiting, waiting for him to come so he can offer the sacrifice and so he can then go to battle and he doesn't come. So King Saul decides instead of waiting any longer, I'm going to go ahead and offer this sacrifice uh, on my own because I want the blessing of God. And then immediately after this happens, Samuel the prophet shows up and he sees what it is that King Saul did and he's upset with him because King Saul is not allowed to offer a sacrifice as a king and this is what he's this is and he, he he accuses him of doing so and this is what king saul says this is how he, he defends himself he says when i saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the philistines gathered together at micmash then i said the philistines will now come down on me at gilgal and i have not made supplication to the lord therefore i felt compelled and offered a burnt offering so he did not immediately repent whenever Samuel the prophet accused him. In fact, he started to make excuses. First, he says, the people were scattered from me, meaning the people were running away. The people were afraid. They didn't want to go to battle because we hadn't offered this sacrifice. And so I had to offer the sacrifice. Also, he's blaming Samuel the prophet. He's saying, you didn't come on time. You said you were supposed to come earlier than this and you didn't come early enough. And he speaks about the enemies, the Philistines, and how they were, you know, going to uh, gather around to attack him and so on. And so he's making all of these different excuses. Whenever he was accused of his sin, he did not repent quickly. Okay, actually he didn't repent at all. We see also again how Samuel rebukes him. It says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue. And Saul does not respond to this. Here, essentially Samuel is telling him that God has rejected you from being king, your kingdom will not continue, and, 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 so, and you have done foolishly. And Saul does not, we don't hear any response from Saul at all. Like He just kind of takes this as, okay, this is something that Samuel said, whether he takes it seriously or not, but it's not something that he really takes to heart. It's not something that he really thinks about and offers any kind of repentance for it. So the first kind of false repentance is, 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 is like a slow repentance. Like we're not really repenting. We're just kind of like taking it quietly until maybe some point in the future, like we might feel sorrowful for something that we've done in the past, or maybe we're just trying to see like how long we can go in a certain kind of lifestyle before we have to change. One characteristic of true repentance is that it's quick, right? And we'll see that in, in the life of King David. Also, we see when King Saul confesses, he does so reluctantly. Okay, he doesn't he doesn't do so easily. Um, in another story, again related to King Saul, uh, God commanded King Saul to kill a group of people called the Amalekites and to kill the king and to kill all of their animals, their their livestock. But Saul instead he spares the king and he also takes some of their livestock alive and doesn't kill them. Okay, and when Samuel comes again to see how this war is, is waging this fight against the Amalekites Saul says to him what blessed are you of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord 
I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So King Saul is convinced that he has performed the commandment of the Lord, even though he did not do what God told him to do. He did half of what God told him to do. He did some of the things that God told him, but he didn't do the rest. And he made reasons why he felt the remaining things <coughs> that he did not do was actually good, was right, was actually within the context of what God wanted to happen. Because in King Saul's mind, he's a logical man, and he's thinking to himself, well, what good is it if I kill all of the livestock? Instead, I will take some of the livestock and I will offer it as a sacrifice to God so that this is even going to be better than if I killed all of the livestock. God did not actually tell me to do this, but this is better than what God said, right? So he used kind of his own logic and his own thinking, okay, to try to justify himself. And, and when, when Samuel questions him and says, why is this livestock here? Did not God tell you to kill the livestock? Uh, King Saul, he responds, he says, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have destroyed the Am Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Again, he is, he is not really wanting to admit whatever, he, he's justifying himself. You know, like when, when, when maybe we are accused, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, when someone comes to us and says, what you're doing is wrong, maybe our first response is to justify ourselves. We don't want to, to, to admit easily and quickly that yes, we were wrong. Instead, we find excuses, we find reasons why, and we don't, we don't want to admit that we are wrong. And the same thing that Saul did here, he justified himself. Many people live a sinful lifestyle, and they do so by justifying it, that it is good, that God approves of it, that their situation, it makes sense for them to be this way, and that God understands, and that this is fine, right? And, and so we put words in the mouth of God, and we tell God, what is it that he should accept based on our own understanding, based on our own desire? What is it that I want God to be and to say? And I imagine that this is actually what God will approve in order for me to feel comfortable with the way that I live, so that I don't have to deal with any of these problems and the situations that I that I struggle with or things that I need to change in my life. This is something that we find all throughout scripture. We find that among the Pharisees, we find it here among King Saul. <coughs> Another aspect of King Saul's false repentance is that he doesn't take any responsibility. Okay? Because why? At the end of all this uh, this dialogue between Samuel and uh, and King Saul. Okay, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Okay, Saul actually, from the outside, it appears that he is offering uh, that he is offering some kind of a repentance here, because he's saying, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and their voice. But in the end, this is a very reluctant confession. After many, many back and forth of him trying to defend himself, he's also giving excuses for what he did, because he feared the people. And actually we see that, you know, he, 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 he doesn't change his way. Like, he, even after this, he continues in the same attitude of him disobeying God, and so we see he's not really taking responsibility for what it is that he's done. Saul also tries to minimize the consequences of what he's done. When we read in 1 Samuel 15 verse 30, okay, 
when he when he's speaking after I have sinned, he says what again? I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Essentially, King uh, Samuel the prophet told him that you have been rejected as king. God does not want you as king anymore. And so when when King Saul is responding to him, he's essentially saying, I have sinned, but please go with me so that the people around continue to see me as king. Right? Honor me. Meaning, like, as long as you who are the, the prophet of God are with me, then people will acknowledge that I am the rightful king. And so I will, I will receive honor from the people. So he's caring more about what he's caring more about the honor that he would receive. He's caring more about the consequences with the people around him if people see him as no longer a legitimate king. And so again, he, this is not a true repentance, right? When we care more about what people see in us, how people view us more than how God views us, this again is not a true repentance. Okay. Um, also, Saul's repentance is short-lived. If Saul was really repenting, and if Saul wanted to change his ways, then he would change. But we see him later on, what he is uh, trying to kill King David, okay? Because he hates King David. And yet, yet again, when he is confronted by King David, he uses the same term again, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. He's saying that he has sinned, but even after this, after he's trying to chase after King David and then he turns back, he goes and tries to kill him again, right? One aspect of true repentance is that it leads to a change, like a, a real change and a continual struggle until we get to that change. Here, King Saul is just kind of saying something that sounds nice in the moment, but he doesn't have any intention to change. Finally, Saul never learned from his mistakes. You know, he, he died in the end, uh, separated, from God, he died in the end, rejected as king. He died in the end, um, not reconciled with King David, and and still having tried to kill him. So in the end, he was kind of like this tragic figure that in the end he never really learned from his mistakes. So this is an example of of false repentance. Okay. How about true repentance? Now, if you notice, King David, his sins were much greater than King Saul. What is it, I mean, of all the things that we've talked about, what is it that King Saul has done? He offered a sacrifice when he shouldn't have offered. He didn't kill sheep that God had told him to kill. You know, the things that he did, maybe when we look at it, we see like, what's really the big deal about this? The big deal about it was not the actions themselves as much as, as it was his response to the actions. Like, he did not honor God. He did not consider that God's ways were better than his own. He did not subject himself to God or submit to God. Instead, he wanted to put his thoughts and his ideals and his ideas on the same level as God, and he defended himself in everything that he did wrong. King David, on the other hand, he performed much worse sins. You know, he committed murder, he committed adultery, he lied, all of these things as as the chosen king of the people. So he is like an example that everyone is looking to. And he did this horrible thing that became known in all of Israel. And yet for him, Christ or God still says about him, he is a man after my own heart. So sometimes when we think about the idea of repentance or we think about the idea of this unforgivable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, we consider that somehow, oh, my sins or this particular sin is so bad, then, then this is the sin that will not be forgiven because it is so bad and so evil. Okay? But it actually has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with how bad the sin is. It has to do with my response after my sin. 
my response after my sin. So we're going to look at some of the characteristics of King David's repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and see how, uh, how it differs from King Saul. After God sent Nathan the prophet to confront King David with his sin, immediately the very first thing out of King David's mouth was, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't try to explain what was happening. He didn't explain how tempting she was to him. He didn't explain, you know, any of the things that happened that might have led him to this sin. He, his, his, he repented immediately and honestly and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. So this is the first thing, very different from King Saul. King Saul kept delaying his repentance. And in the end, his repentance wasn't very genuine. But here, King David, he repented immediately. Okay. Also, King David took this sin seriously. You know, King Saul, he downplayed the sin, he defended himself, but King David did not. King David wrote Psalm 50 after having fallen with Bathsheba and repenting. And we read this in the Agbeya uh, every day. He says, what I am conscious of my iniquity and my sin as at all times before you, before me. So it's like I am always seeing my sin. I am always aware of my sinfulness. I'm always aware of my weakness. And this is uh, one of the characteristics of a truly repentant person, is someone who always sees themselves as a sinner, right? It doesn't mean that we are, we are bad in the sense that we have to hate ourselves. No, actually it's the opposite. We feel that we are redeemed by Christ, that Christ is our Redeemer, that Christ is our Savior. But in order for me to really believe and to see that Christ is my Savior, then I have to acknowledge that I am in need of salvation meaning I am a sinner, I am in need of the mercy of God. And this is what strengthens my relationship with God, is because I acknowledge my need for God's mercy, and then I also see that God is merciful. And so these two things combine together to attract me to God, because He is a Savior. It's like someone who is drowning in the ocean, he's going to be attracted to the person that's going to throw him the life vest or the lifesaver. Right? He's going to naturally want to be with that person because he's a savior to them. But if we do not acknowledge that we are drowning, then we're going to have no desire to go toward this person who is trying to save us, who is Christ. So David took his sin seriously. He was always aware of his weakness. And from this point on in his life, you can see that he, he always he remembered the sin that he had committed and how God had mercy on him. Another aspect of uh, King David's repentance is that King David accepted the consequences. King David accepted the consequences. The child that was born between him and Bathsheba died. And God allowed this as a consequence to King David for the sin that he committed. Okay, He says what in chapter 12 verse 14? He says, Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who was born to you shall surely die. And you see here that King David does not begin to curse God. He doesn't hate God. He doesn't turn to him and say, you're an evil God because you are allowing this. He simply accepted that this was the consequence of his sin and he felt that he deserved this. It doesn't mean that he wanted this and it doesn't mean that he didn't supplicate God so that this wouldn't happen because he did. He fasted and he prayed and he asked God not to allow this. But he still accepted the consequence. Okay. Which leads us to the next point, David still hoped in God. He still believed, despite his sin, that God could be so merciful as to avoid this consequence. It says, what David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Why? Because he, he believed that God was merciful. He believed that God could actually still save him from even the consequences of his sin. Right? 
And, and this is something very important. David's relationship with God was not destroyed as a result of the chastisement that he received from God. Sometimes when we receive some kind of rebuke or chastisement from God, it causes us to hate God. It makes us feel like God is unfair to me. Why is the God allowing this to happen to me? Why is God doing this to me when you know I don't deserve this? Okay, King David, even though he did commit sin, he could have turned and said, well, isn't this too harsh a punishment that you're going to allow my child to die even from the sin that I committed? But he didn't. He asked God to remove this consequence. But even after David did, God did not remove this consequence, David was not bitter toward God. The son actually died, okay, and David did not have any bitterness toward God. Actually, after his son died, it says what? So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Meaning, like, he went and worshipped God. Like, the first thing, can you imagine, like, the first thing that someone's going to do after God tells you, your son is going to die because of your sin, and he asks God, please do not allow my son to die, and then the son actually dies, and the first thing he goes, he goes to the church and prays to God. Maybe that would be the last thing we would think to do. We would be maybe upset that God is doing this to me and we're, we're, we're frustrated with him or angry at him. But David was not. David was not bitter. Which means what? That he fully accepted his fault. He fully accepted his role in what happened and then he was willing to receive from God whatever consequences God wanted to give him because he, he felt that this is what he deserved. And, and, and this is something important for us. Someone who is truly repentant is willing to own up to the mistakes that we've made and is willing to receive the consequences of the mistake. You know, it's one thing for me to say, yeah, I did something wrong, but I don't want any consequence. Like I did something wrong, but I, I want, you know, because I admitted it, I don't, I think it's wrong for there to be any consequence for me at all. King David accepted the harshest consequence and he did so without any bitterness toward God. Also, um, David did not try to earn the forgiveness of God. And this is an important point. He says again in Psalm 50, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your great mercy. He's saying what? God, you are merciful. And because you are merciful, you can have mercy on me. And you can forgive me my sins simply because of who you are. Simply because you are merciful. Not because I'm going to try to do certain actions that are going to prove my goodness. Or that are going to somehow undo or, or, or counteract the sin that I made. He's saying, what? I'm, I'm trusting completely in the mercy of God because I am a sinner and the only way that I can have salvation is through your mercy, not through my good works. It's not because I can do so many good works that now suddenly um, I'm worthy of forgiveness. No, it's because of the mercy of God that he would be forgiven. Finally, David, in all of this, he learned to forgive others. Years and years and years later, there was a man who was cursing David and all the people that were with David, they wanted to kill him. They said, who is this man who is coming to curse the king? But King David did not, did not see it that way. He, in fact, he said, so let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? King David learned this humility, and he learned that he necessarily does not deserve good things. Okay, Maybe God is teaching me a lesson. Maybe God is coming to him and saying, curse me, because I deserve to be cursed. Maybe, maybe uh, I need to be humbled in this moment and God is allowing this through this person. Sometimes again, like when we are mistreated by others, um, we, we have a sense of entitlement that I deserve uh, revenge or I deserve to be treated well. Actually, someone like King David, who was a king, he didn't think even that he deserved to be treated well. 
He, he said about himself, maybe God wants me to be cursed. Let me to be cursed, and I will learn this lesson of humility from the cursing that I receive. So David learned in all of this, because he received the mercy of God, he learned also how to show mercy toward other people. So we see a very stark contrast between the true repentance of King David and the way he responded. He responded quickly, whereas Saul did not respond quickly. He took his sin seriously, whereas Saul did not do so, and he took it very lightly. Um, David accepted the consequences, whereas King Saul was trying to avoid the consequences of his sin. Um, David still hoped in God. David was not bitter toward God. Um, David did not try to earn forgiveness, and David learned to forgive others. These are all characteristics that we should have to show us that we are, have a true spirit of repentance. And in this repentance, we would believe that we have not committed this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, because we are actually offering repentance to God, and we, we have confidence, and we know that when we offer a true repentance, that God always will forgive us. So may God grant us this um, spirit of repentance, and also that we would have hope in God that there is no sin that we commit that is too evil, that is too bad, that God cannot forgive us and have mercy on us. And glory be to God forever. Amen.